0: Hey, what up fam, it's your boy Norm, uh, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 80 of the Evangelical Norm. It is December 24th, so I'd like to just start with saying Merry Christmas. I hope you all are having a great uh, Christmas holiday, um, spending time with the family, and uh, worshiping God as we uh, just remember the Incarnation of Christ and what that all means. And of course, that would be what we're going to talk about today so a um, couple of things that inspired me to uh... talk about this rather than the plethora of political things we could talk about um, i would never ever talk about anything political on christmas i can always wait till next week Um so we're gonna talk about jesus today because it's christmas <laughs> so um, but a couple of things. First we', as you can see, I'm not in my normal um, recording digs. I, we are on vacation in Colorado and spending time with some friends and family. and so I am staying with friends and uh, I've got a nice bright white wall behind me and, uh, and people in bed sleeping. So I'm trying to be quiet. Although I'm probably not succeeding very well, seeing as I've had to redo this thing twice uh, now. So, that being said, we went to church this morning um, at just a local community church here. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about their their theology or anything like that. But it was a Christmas sermon. It was talking about the Magi and kind of hammering out some things that... uh, are actually biblical about the magi and things that are just legend and and mythology that have snuck into our nativity scenes and our Christmas cards and we three kings which really has not a lot of authentic uh, accurate uh, biblical information in it It's, uh, it's pretty bad so there was that And then today also uh, on my other YouTube page, my old YouTube page that I don't do anything on anymore except for monitor the videos that are there, one of which over the last year has taken off and just went over 47,000 hits today, got a comment today from um, a rather friendly atheist, at least he didn't use any profanity in his, uh, his comment. And I'm assuming he's an atheist based on what he says here. Uh, But that could be a wrong assumption. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Uh, But CH29 tells me on uh, my Book of Mormon video, says, dude, I love being called dude, there's no reason to believe in the legend of Jesus. So he's starting out well. (laughs) Um, The New Testament is equally a load of crap as the Book of Mormon. Okay, it's kind of like you're still just as stupid as a Mormon, but you prefer a slightly different brand of stupidity. Um, very kind of uh, our atheist friends when they have their, their little atheist tantrums um, like this. Uh, they like to call us names and so on. So, between that and the pastor's sermon today, I was felt like I just wanted to talk about why we can trust the Bible why we can know that that and and granted i mean three three kings is a song i'm not going to call anybody a heretic because they believe that the wise men were at the stable or that there were only three or that they were kings or any of that information that is just wrong and not biblical Um, so it's not a it's not a heresy issue If you love We Three Kings, keep singing We Three Kings. Just enjoy it, but just know that it's wrong. Um, But why we can look biblically biblically and see historically what actually happened, and we can trust the history that's behind that. So we're going to look at the book of Luke, but initially what we want to look at and what we want to talk about in the, the New Testament is the fact that One, we know that Paul died somewhere around 64, between 64 and 67 AD, somewhere in there. Um, So all of his letters were written prior to that. Um, I would say probably 64 AD is the uh, safest, safe bet to go with. We'll go with 64. So all of his letters are written previous to 64 AD. um, And... He wrote his letter to the first letter to Timothy somewhere around 62 AD, um, maybe even as early as 58, but probably around 62 AD. He wrote this letter to Timothy, and in the first letter to Timothy, he quotes Luke. Um, First Timothy, I don't remember the exact verse. Let me go back and find it. Do 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 do. do, do. Yeah, where did we go? No, no, no. Um, he quote first Timothy five eighteen. Paul quotes Luke from Luke ten seven, uh saying the laborer is worth his wages. So we have the knowledge that Luke is written much prior to. Uh, much prior is that proper grammar, like you expect me to use proper grammar, um, is written prior to the writing of Timothy, so earlier than 58 AD. Now we know that Christ died somewhere around between 30, 33, somewhere in there AD. So now we have narrowed the writing of Luke down to pretty much a 23, 24 year period, 25 maybe at the most. Um, and most scholars will say that Mark was written first and that Matthew and Luke, excuse me, borrow from Mark. Um, and so again, contemporary writings using each other, writing each other, but knowing that Mark was written first so would have come after 33 now and if Luke borrows anything from Mark uh, which I don't know if he necessarily borrowed from um, we're gonna talk about the way that Luke wrote the way I believe that Luke wrote just based on the way he writes Um, Luke probably talked to Mark and used stuff from interviewing him um, in the book of Luke but we would know that so now we're narrowing down again the, the span of where Luke would be written somewhere over a short period of time to where that could be in, um, that letter can be in rotation throughout the churches to be read and quoted by Paul in a letter to Timothy. So there we have, we know that these, these books Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John. We know he dies on the island of Patmos somewhere around between 80 and 95 A.D. So all those are written earlier. The fact that he does not mention um, in John, or first, second, or third John, he does not mention the de- destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. That those are mostly written beforehand. So. We have again a time frame of where we can call the Gospels contemporary uh, writings of Christ, of the time in the time of Christ, um, and Romans as well, being um, probably the first letter that Paul writes and essentially his Gospel, um, meeting and talking to and. Uh, Encountering the risen Christ, we can see where these things fall in. All of the the New Testament is contemporary to the time of Christ. Trustworthy, reliable. I mean, we know as believers that this is all um, inspired and preserved by the Holy Spirit and God Himself. So, I mean. That's the main reason we can look at this and trust it. But there are so many other tests uh, we can put the, the scripture to, to know and understand its validity and trustworthiness. So we're going to jump in. I'm going to read, of course, it's Christmas, so I'm going to read Luke 2, um, which y'all should be <laughs> reading today anyway. It is Christmas Eve, um, if you're listening to this the day that I post it. Maybe you're on vacation and you're reading this three days from now. Still a good uh, section of scripture to read. Um, If you want to grab your Bibles and read with me, that would be great. I'll give you a minute. You can pause this. We're going to move on. Um, Luke chapter 2, verse Uh, 1. I'm reading from the ESV also, just so you know. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. A couple of things I want to kind of hit here. Um, For a long time, people doubted the validity of this because there was no record of a Quirinius being governor in Syria during this time. Um, There was a Quirinius, Quirinius, I want to say, I forget if he w- if it was later or earlier, but there was another Quirinius that was a governor, um, and people were saying, "See, this is the time is off." But again, I should have researched, got or at least got the exact. I've read these scenes before, but I don't remember the exact dates. But um, I want to say in the seventies, late sixties, 70s somewhere in there. Um, there were there was an archaeological find, and that showed that there was a governor in Syria named Quirinius at this time, that fit with this timeline to see what is going on. A um, couple other things, um, you know, I've heard a lot of sermons talking about that you know Jesus or Joseph and Mary probably were not in any kind of a barn. Um, that that at this time animals lived inside the house along with um, the people on like a different level of the house and they were probably in a house with relatives um, but didn't have like a bedroom or something so they had to stay on the bottom level with the animals and so on. A couple of reasons why I disagree with this. Um, one, if I remember writing and in things that I read, they didn't, they didn't feed them inside the homes. Those who did keep their animals inside the homes, mangers and feeding troughs and so on were kept outside because they generally didn't smell the greatest, um, And also the fact that if they were looking for a place in an inn, if they had family that they would be staying with, they probably wouldn't have been looking for a place in an inn. Those are just a couple of things. Again, my opinion on this, I really do think that they got stuck in a barn somewhere um, with multiple animals. And then the fact that the shepherds just walked in to where they were that night when the baby was born after the angels appeared to them gives lens credence to that it was not a private residence but uh, more out in the open um, not very private place so those those just a couple of things that um, opinions of mine on this uh, but um, definitely was not a silent night And uh, Jesus probably cried a lot, and um, not a a pleasant place to be. Um, Moving on, chapter 8, or verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising for God, praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So there's one big thing that always sticks out, and he and Luke does it again at the end of this chapter as he talks to Mary about events in Jesus' childhood. The statement he makes that Mary treasured these things in her heart. Um, His mother treasured these things in in her heart. Um, I am very convinced that Luke sat down and interviewed Mary. Sat down and said, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about the night he was born. You know, we can see these things uh, just in the way that, that he writes that this is written in the way of a historian who would go to the eyewitnesses and say tell me about this and just that statement his mother treasured these things up you can see the the interviewer interviewee relationship in that statement so Luke is sitting down with eyewitnesses, and we see this in other places throughout Luke's writings when he writes these things down. It's pretty obvious that he's taking this information from eyewitness accounts. Um, That's why I think he probably spoke with Mark um, and took information and anything borrowed from the book of Mark, Um, the gospel of Mark, was probably conveyed in uh, interview mode. And so... Um, and even going on into the book of Acts, when we see the speech, (laughs) sorry, when we see the speech that Stephen gives to the Sanhedrin before he's, he's martyred, um, there's only one person that is there when that speech is given because Luke wasn't there, um, when Stephen was martyred he wasn't you know he wasn't in that he wasn't among the believers at the time and there were uh, as far as we know there were no believers there when the speech was given he was before the, the Sanhedrin um, making this speech about how they killed the prophets and Moses and going on and on and on amazing speech that was given before he was killed but Luke points out that um, they laid their cloaks at the feet of a man named Paul, uh, Saul. And we know Saul is our brother, uh, the, the 13th apostle, if you will, um, transformed by the living Christ. And this speech was enough, had enough impact on him. That he remembered it enough to to give it to luke in an interview process the speech that stephen gives before the sanhedrin i firmly believe is relayed to luke by the apostle paul so we see the way that luke wrote and we see the the um recent writings from the time of christ's death the eyewitness accounts and again we see it in in other places where paul talks about um you know that christ appeared to you know the apostles and then to others and then to hit um and then to over 500 of the brethren and he makes a statement some who are still alive, some who have fallen asleep, many who are still alive. And he's saying there are eyewitnesses out there who saw the risen Christ. Go talk to them. Now, granted, we read this now, and we can't make that. We can't go talk to them. They're no longer alive. But when Paul wrote this letter and made it public and made it available to people who would read it, he is saying these people are still alive. These people who saw the risen Christ are still alive. You can go talk to them when luke had given the his gospel and the book of acts to be given to um, the churches to read many of the people he interviewed were still alive i'm pretty sure that mary was probably even still alive remember at the time that that jesus died she was only in her mid to late forties depending on how old you want to believe she was when she was pregnant with jesus i mean there people would say she, uh, she's as young as 13 which would put her at forty six years old when christ was crucified some put her as late as seventeen but still within that uh... framework i mean a four-year so she's forty six to fifty years old when christ is crucified so um, again she's still alive when these things are out people could have gone and talked to her if any of this could have been disproven, if any of this was false or fake, much of it would have been disproven long before these letters became uh, widely spread and canonized. You know, we have fraction or partions, partial fragments, that's the word I'm looking for, of Scripture as early as 120 A.D., so within less than a hundred years from the time of Christ's death as these books are being written and in we have what A.T. we have what is called the Moratorium Fragment which has par, uh, partial um, bits of every book of the New Testament except for James and James is, was added the latest he was written in line with in the time frame but he was added later because a lot of people didn't think he was um, didn't consider him to be an apostle he was a brother of Christ um, even though they did add Jude for whatever reason James wasn't added until later and I don't know it would be an argument from silence to say why um, other than Essentially, they didn't think he carried an, an apostleship um, to be added into the canon until later when they said, this is Jesus's brother, he and Jude definitely belong there. So, we have all this information, we have all this stuff that, that makes it um, obvious, this word I would use, that we can trust what was written by the apostles um, and given as scripture and made canon so um, you know we can take that and then we can look at those things and we can know that God took on a body of flesh was born as a baby and here's the other thing I wanted to mention. I'm going to digress for a minute. Um, there are a lot of pro-life groups, and I'm as pro-life as they come. I am, I go beyond what normally we would call pro-life to abolitionist. Not affiliated with abo- abolish human abortion. This group needs to repent from some of the things they do and get back to a um, solid theology, I think. Uh, this is the term I'm looking for. I don't know what it is, but they've gone off the deep end in uh, some of their criticisms of some brothers just because their thing isn't their uh, our thing or whatever. Again, I digress. We've got a lot of uh, pro-life groups that this year I've never seen it until this year, where they're taking pictures of a manger or some of these things and saying, you know. Uh, We owe our salvation to, you know, an unplanned pregnancy. And again, I understand where they're trying to get to. We want to get rid of abortion. Unplanned pregnancies isn't something that should just be uh, killed. But guys, Jesus's birth, this pregnancy was the most planned pregnancy from the beginning of the world. Nobody involved did not know what was going down Mary was visited by an angel and told Joseph was visited by an angel and told that this was gonna happen and we have all the way back in Genesis 3 we have the proto evangelium the first gospel presentation where we are made aware that the seed of the woman would come and would crush the head of the serpent so this is a planned pregnancy, let's not use this um, to push this other agenda because it's inaccurate and so there we have that Um, but we see scripturally biblically that God incarnate came and live this life and if we go on I'm not going to read the rest of Luke 2 but we can go on and see what Mary talks about Jesus and as he's growing up and growing in favor and stature um, growing in stature and in favor with men and, and he you know he learned and he he did all these things God in the flesh emmanuel come to be with us all the amazing songs that we do sing about that and the amazing scriptures the prophecies from old testament to new where we see that jesus is the incarnate god come he is he is fully human fully man and fully god fully man to be the representation that we need to overcome our federal head adam and his sin that is and imputed into us through through Adam's sin and the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us through his death on the cross. So he's fully man to be that human representation that we need to have. We need to have a human representation to be um, to shed that blood to pay the penalty for our sin, but we also need a divine representation who can live, actively obedient to God with Christ's active obedience his righteousness because again the scripture doesn't say the innocent can approach the, the the mountain of God only the righteous we are not righteous on our own none of us will be none of us will ever have be able to proclaim our own righteousness the only way we are are imputed with any kind of righteousness is through Christ's death and resurrection Um, And when we come and we repent and we we put our faith and our trust in the sacrificial work that Christ did. And again, repentance and faith are not works. They are both gifts from God. So that we can honestly say that we did nothing to gain our own salvation. We did nothing to contribute to our own salvation. As many have said, the only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary there is no work that we have ever or ever will do that can contribute to our salvation it's only the work the active obedience of Christ his perfect life his sinless life but is right not just sinless but righteous and he went to the cross and he bore upon himself our sins as the scripture says he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God and if we are willing to repent if we receive that again, it is all in God's hands. You know, we have a free will to sin, but none of us exercise free will in coming to Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that only those who came to Him are the ones that the Father drew to Him. We were drawn by the Father, by the work of the Holy Spirit, by His conviction, by His regeneration. That is how we are drawn to Christ We are given the gift of repentance, we are given the gift of faith, wherein we can cry out, Abba Father, and be reconciled to God through what Christ did on the cross. And that is what we know when we look at this Christmas season. Again, one of my favorite songs is by Go Fish, and I don't know if anyone else has ever done a a version of it, but Go Fish does a song called It's About the Cross and that's literally what this is and and years ago I saw a quote and I don't know if I ever quoted it right um, I, I've gone back and found the, the newspaper clipping and I, I wish I knew who to give credit for this quote to whether it was the greens at Hobby Lobby or not but it was a Hobby Lobby ad that I saw that showed um, I want to see like a, like a child or a manger or something, but the cross overshadowing it. And I've said it for for a long time. Um, you know, the I can't remember how I said it, but always um always overshadowing Bethlehem's manger is the image of Calvary's cross and that will always be and I think I I said it once in a sermon last year that the the light shining forth from the empty tomb the resurrection resurrection of Christ the light bursting forth from this empty tomb has cast the image the shadow of Calvary's cross across the manger of Bethlehem all three go together the christmas isn't just about the baby it's not you know it's not about presents it's not about any of those things and i'm not saying those things aren't good we're gonna go open presents um tomorrow we don't do santa check last year's uh podcast for that um but we do gifts we do christmas trees we do gifts we do stockings we do all those things because we it's fun and we can enjoy it and we have freedom and liberty in Christ but we remember to make the 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 main thing the main thing and that is that the baby grew up he's not just a story in a book about a baby being born in a manger this child really lived and he grew and his mother told stories about him upon stories about him and he grew in favor and stature and he He went into public ministry and he preached a gospel that got him killed so that he he could take upon himself our sin, pay the penalty that we deserve, give us his righteousness, rise three days later from the grave, proving that not only was he who he said he was, but the sacrifice he made was pleasing and and accepted by God the Father. And he taught his disciples and he sli- he stayed with them for a time and then he ascended to heaven to prepare a place for us and his gospel was set forth by men who used words and they shared that and because of this event and these men who studied under this, this man Christ who died and paid the penalty for our sin and because of their willingness to preach what they knew to be true and did not ever back down from it and went to their own deaths everyone except for John being a horrifying death a a a brutal death John endured many brutal things and did not die and then died uh, on his on his own as an old man but every one of these men went to their deaths declaring the incarnate god in Christ crucified buried and resurrection so that we could be forgiven of our sin that's what we want to focus on this morning today christmas every day we want to focus on the fact that jesus christ god in the flesh emmanuel god with us came to this planet came to this earth that he created knit himself How mind-blowing knit together in his mother's womb but he's the creator he's the one that knit each one of us together in our mother's womb and yet he was knit together in his mother's womb lived a perfect life died a sinner's death so that we can be reconciled to him remember that this Christmas as you sit down with your families Um, You open presents, you eat a lot of food, um, prepare to go back to work um, and relaunch in the next year, Um, consider those things. Make sure those things are the the main focus among all of the, the, the presents and food and family and fun. Make sure we have a fundamental focus. Uh, I don't. I can't get any more alliteration in there um, on Christ and what He did for us. And as always, preach the gospel at all times, like the apostles did. Use words; they are necessary. And until next week, Soli Deo Gloria.